Hardcore Surf History. I've paid my dues Time after time I've done my sentence But committed no crime And bad mistakes I've made a few In 1963, legendary Australian surf filmmaker and magazine publisher Bob Evans orchestrated the first official World Surfing Championships at Manly Beach, with Phyllis O'Donnell and Midget Fairley immortalized as our first champions. Many have risen to the pinnacle of competitive surfing since then, providing generations with heroes and sporting drama. But in addition to providing us with excitement and a measure of greatness, the idea of deciding who's best in an activity so multidimensional and subjective generates enough emotion and talking points as to sometimes be more fascinating than the events themselves. As three-time world champ Tom Curran once discussed, why is it important to know who's number one? Does a world champion determine who's the best? And perhaps most tellingly, who cares? In London, I'm Jamie Brewer. And I'm Tyler Brewer. In Brooklyn, this is Hardcore Surf History, where we take a deep dive into surfing's past, present, and future. On this episode, it's all about the world champs. Who are they, and why do we care? We explore the purpose of having a world champion, the different formats to decide a title, and the figures and personalities that make up the long list of past, present, and future world champions. And of course, Jamie and I battle to see who's number one when it comes to surf trivia with the ultimate Stump My Bro. How's that one? <laughs> How's which one? <laughs> which one are you talking about, Tyler? Well, I like the the ultimate stump, my bro. Oh, the, <laughs> <laughs> the well, okay. So here, well, then, my bro. <laughs> well, that's interesting. If we really are trying to decide who is, <clears throat> you know, the, the the champion of of surf trivia between the two of us. Is to, the way we kind of having this discussion now when we're deciding what's the best format to discussing a world surfing champion, is it better to go back to all our previous episodes and see who's won the most all right, times? RIPT. No, 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 but meaning like, <laughs> should it be a cumulative thing or should it be decided in one event, one final event right now? 
Oh, kind of like the WSL has it with its new format, basically. Is that what yeah. you're getting at? Yeah. What do you think? Oh. Like, should we it, have well, like well, a one day where we come, like, we're like, right, let's prepare. Next week, we're going to have a, a real stunt, my bro. Bring your A game. You know, should that be decide who's the best or should we? <laughs> I, I, I personally, uh, I mean, of course, I would like that because then I would really put more effort into it. And also, at the moment, you you you're not going to win because I think no. I have a I think I have I think I have oh, a you do. track record. You do, you definitely do, and <laughs> and I think you ask more interesting questions. But um, you know, I think when it comes to surfing or professional surfing, though, I I don't know. Like to be honest, like I I like. I do like the fact that I like a more cumulative uh, over a season uh, to decide a world title. Personally, I think that's the most fair or or uh, objective way of deciding a world champ. But for pure entertainment purposes, I do really like the WSL finals format, uh, final day format. Like I think that's really fun, really enjoyable to watch. So for the the viewers, I think it's totally amazing. Uh, but for the um, for the pro surfers, I think it kind of sucks personally. Wait, so I think maybe should we quickly lay out maybe what have been the different ways that the world well, champion before has that, been determined? I think <laughs> even before that, I think even yeah. before that, you know, um, like what's the purpose in having a world champ? I think that's also <laughs> yeah. something like you put in the notes that I think is, is kind of important to kind of discuss like where a little bit of like where it kind of came from and why, why do we need to do that? Like, what is the, what, what is the purpose really? I mean, do you, when you, in your research, did you see anything, any reason why Bob Evans or any interviews with Bob Evans as to why he started the world the the first world surfing titles oh yeah i mean for that i mean that that in a way is um i i i i'd like to come on to that but i i yeah. think your 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 existential question like yeah. why, why why do we need a world champion you know like how important is it i think maybe that's a, an yeah. interesting one to discuss cuz i mean i suppose like if if you you're always kind of like wondering who the best of whatever you do is, I suppose. Like, I think no matter what, whether it's a sport or whether it's music or art or writing or, or, a, or politicians or, yeah. or whatever, you, you kind of, it's such a fascinating thing to think what is the best, the highest example, you know, in the world of a particular thing. And if you surf, you kind of it's so fascinating to think who is the absolute best and before a world champ before the world championships i mean they did have certain contests mm-hmm. that that were like the biggest contests and those were kind of like a way of deciding it but until you had something which actually said the world championships you um you never had that so i th- it, i think it is really fascinating to think who is the best it's also like when you paddle out, you're always sizing up the surfer next to you. I think there's always a little bit of that, like, 
can I snag a wave off this person? Uh, you know, there's always a little bit of that. There's also like when friends kind of push each other and, and in terms of performance, you know, there, there is a certain element of that. Like, it, it's funny, like, I don't know if it's like a modern world thing, but I think it's just always been there. Uh, you know, in doing research for this, I started looking into even like, you know, ancient Hawaiian, you know, culture, because there were competitions involved in that as well, you know, where, where someone could lose their life, actually, <laughs> um, you know, if they lost some of those competitions and, and certain tribes, it just helped decide certain tribes, you know, who got certain profits off of another tribe, even they, they use those competitions for that, which is pretty interesting. Now, those competitions, though, uh, talking about format, we're a lot more um, objective and less subjective than our current uh, surf competitions. They were like kind of like races. Oh, you mean like the ones in, in ancient Hawaii? Yeah, yeah. Like the so, like the, what? What? How would it work? So, like, uh, I was reading an interesting piece on the inertia actually with like Matt George. He he talk, goes into it, and you know they can trace it perhaps probably early as early as the twelfth century. And like the sport began to flourish. And basically when he writes, like when the bets were all put up, the surf riders taking their boards with them swam out through the surf. till they had to reach the waters outside the surf, the surf riders having to reach the belt of the water outside of the surf, the region where the rollers began and make head. Uh, and then awaiting an incoming wave in preparation for which they got their boards and they basically rowed them to shore and then they had like a little buoy that they had to, that was moored that they had to pass. And if the combatants passed the line of this buoy together, it was a dead heat. But if one went by in advance, the other, he was the victor basically, which is basically an interesting, more objective way of determining a better surfer. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Well, I guess that's the thing. If it depends on what the equipment allows you to do, you know, and if the equipment only lets you really go fast in a straight line, yeah. then that really narrows it down quite a bit. Whereas once you got to smaller boards that were maneuverable, then it started to become a dance. And in that case, then it is all it, more about how you're performing. And, and so, uh, yeah. So in the old, in, in that sense, it would have been easy to have an objective style, but once we started it's, to play around a bit, then it's <laughs> then you want to well, see who's best at playing around. Well, it's interesting. There is uh, also another interesting anecdote by Rabbit Kekai in there uh, discussing how ridiculous basing um, uh, judging by the surfer style as opposed to the racing aspect. Uh, I, I want to read this because I thought it was kind of funny, and it's kind of like kind of the opposite now. Uh, but basically he, he Ravike Kai, who, you know, is a legendary surfer, um, you know, had this story passed down by an older Waikiki beach boy telling how at a meeting preceding one of those early century surf races, someone suggested, Hey, along with the buoy race, why don't we also judge how well the surfer rides his wave back to shore? And then the assembled watermen pondered this idea for a moment, but then collectively shook their heads in the negative. That's ridiculous, came the general consensus. Everybody rides differently in their own personal way, uh, style. How could you possibly judge it? And the idea was summarily tabled, like, yeah, I guess that's a pretty dumb idea. <laughs> so I, I know, was... but it's I it's totally, and I know, and that's been like, lots of people have, you know, like posed that question, you know, like yeah. surf contests, it's a subjective thing. How can you judge it? Um, 
and and uh, you know Laird Hamilton has famously said that's why he doesn't like doing surfing contests. He said he likes to compete in th- yeah different things, but he doesn't like subjective stuff. But the the problem is, yeah, maybe for people you know who are who are doing it, you know, they might get frustrated if they don't get judged to be the best. But yeah. for the rest of us who are watching, we're always discussing who's the best, and it's yeah. not just in surfing. It's like I said before, you know, like you know, lots of uh, you know, especially you know, like when I was a teenager, we'd all discuss who's the greatest, you know, rock guitarist of all time, of course. and and you know, and who's the the best artist of all time, you know, and and that's not it's and it is just an interesting. I think it's interesting. It's not clean. It's it's interesting discussing who's the best, and I think that's kind of the validity of surf contests is that you know you kind of want to like have some sort of a, a format or a, a structure, a forum. Is the best, for, is, is the best guitarist uh, Jimmy Page or is it Joe Satriani? <laughs> Neither. It's uh, <laughs> Jimi Hendrix and Steve Vai. <laughs> I think Satriani was Steve Vai's mentor, actually. Oh, I think, yeah, both of them from Long Island, actually. Oh, I was not aware of that. In fact, Grandma was uh, friends with Joe Satriani's mom because uh, really, she, I think she was a teacher. No way. You know, he was, and, on and a, he wrote uh, the. Doesn't he have an album like Surf Guitar from Mars or something like? Yeah, that? and also he, um, you know, was on Kelly Slater's Human Touch top music list in uh, like '89. <laughs> Uh, that you should have saved for a stump. That would have been a good one. <laughs> Damn it. <laughs> Joe Satriani. It would be great to meet Slater and be like, so, still listening to Joe Satriani or Michael Hedges? <laughs> I, the other thing with, with surf contests in general, like I, I know for years I would always try and think of a, a way that you could come up with a surf contest that could really – determine who the best surfer is because like if you watch a surf contest when you have the elimination rounds you know a normal surf contest not talking about the whole world champions you know you could lose in the first heat because whoever you're surfing against scored like a perfect 20 and you scored 19 and that's like an amazing score but because you lost that first or early round heat and you get eliminated you don't get to win the contest or you you look on paper, it looks like you did really badly when actually you did really well. So I always thought, ah, oh, there must be a better way to figure it out. And I know, like Kelly Slater for years has talked about having a leaderboard yeah. type of system, like they did in the old days before uh, elimination rounds, you know, because that way, and Tom Kern has said the same thing, where you can just, everyone gets to surf an equal amount and then you add up all that. But well, that's kind of like how they do it in, uh, they did it like at the Eddy. They used to have that. Like it was like a leaderboard for the next round. Uh, also, the um, C5 challenge Rusty did uh, in like the late 90s, where everyone had to write anything but three fins. And they'd had, they did the format was like leaderboard, basically, which was right. kind of cool, you know? It, it is cool. And it is a way to decide who the best is. But, and they do that in the surf ranch too, by the way. They yes, in the surf ranch. And do you know what? The surf ranch kind of convinced, and actually watch, I think I've watched a bit more pro surfing in the last couple of, well, not, you know, I've watched a bit more pro surfing recently. And after watching the surf ranch and watching some of the eddies, 
and then watching the normal format that we have, I've come to the, the, the conclusion that for me, it's far more interesting watching elimination rounds because there's drama in every heat. Yeah. And it's, it's, you're not necessarily, yeah, in a surf contest, you might not necessarily find out who the best surfer of the event was, but you're finding just, it's, you're just watching interesting games played out. And it's, it's almost it's, more interesting how, how they surf their heat. Well, to me, it's then you're really deciding who's the best competitive surfer as opposed to who's the best surfer, right? Mm -hmm. Because there's a difference between, you know, what, what many would regard the best surfer and who's the best competitive surfer. And, and that's something that I think we, we sometimes, many of us lose sight of, you know, it's, you know, and that's why like Gabriel is so good too, is he's not only one of the best surfers, but he's one of the best competitive surfers. He knows the rules. He knows how to play the tactics. And all of that makes for a lot of drama, right? And and makes it really fascinating to watch. Yeah, it's a whole other skill set. Like somebody who's re you could have two surfers who have equal t talent when it comes to surfing, but with the actual strategies and all that, like it's you can have a huge disparity between one and the other. And you know, it's not all that much different than a normal lineup. You know, someone who could go out at the, you know, uh, you know, on the Gold Coast and surf snapper and get some of the best waves and surf them the best. Mm -hmm. To me, that's probably the best surfer because they're reading the waves really well. They're reading the crowd really well. They're using tactics, uh, sometimes, uh, you know, not in the best way. But, you know, those are probably the people who are the best surfers of those of those spots for the most part. And, and so it, it's actually more realistic, actually having a bit of, uh, that whole duel, you know, where, where it's based on the, the strategy as opposed to just surfing performance. I suppose then, like, I, th I think you're totally right. Then what it starts to make me think, well, then wouldn't it be even more realistic to have like six surfers in the water at a time, you know, <laughs> and really get to see, you know, strategy and. Well, then now you're just going back to the IPS days almost, you know? <laughs> yeah. I, I thought in, in the research doing this in terms of the different formats, right? Uh, I really found that the um, the objective scoring system, that the Hang Ten system that they came up with, to determine like the world champs from like seventy, you know, seventy two, seventy three to about seventy five, almost the Smirnoff or the Smirnoff system was really interesting. Where each maneuver accomplished on a wave was given a point value relative to their difficulty. Uh, the wave size at each event would be divided into small, medium, and large, and extra large. And the bigger the wave you rode, the more points you got for your maneuvers. And as a surfer rode, a judge would call off the wave size at the takeoff. And then the scorer would call off the maneuvers as the surfer performed them. And as the heat progressed, each surfer would have a running total of points scored. I, I kind of like that. I feel like they, they could bring that back almost. Uh, what today. do you like about it? It's it's a little little bit less subjective and a little bit more objective. Um, I feel like it it uh, it's it's kind of it's kind of true too. If you do a big maneuver on a bigger wave, you probably should get more points than someone doing an air reverse on a smaller wave. And sometimes that isn't always the case. 
Uh, sometimes the judges will, you know, if you're on a smaller wave and you're doing a, an air, it's not as critical as, as if you were on like an overhead wave and you do maybe a really big carving tail slide or something, that's probably more critical. And sometimes it feels like certain maneuvers get, get weighted or scored more than others, you know, in the wrong direction maybe. But then what if, you, what if someone creates a maneuver, innovates, you know, and has a maneuver that hasn't been done before? Well, it depends. And it's not they, on the list. Well, I mean, it, it may not. It, I think you don't need like a full list per se. But I think you, um, I think it depends on where it's done on the wave and what's the, the size of the wave. I like that aspect of it. I feel like the size of the wave has, it doesn't play as much into, um, into the scoring these days in the WSL. I feel like a lot of times it's just more about the maneuver and less about the actual size of the wave and the criticalness of that. What? But I don't know. It's a, I, it seems like when they, like when you watched Make or Break, they would go into d- discussing how most, I remember one time they were talking about Philippe Toledo and they said, you know, like most surfers, if they caught a bigger wave than you, yeah. and they did the same maneuver, they would get scored higher. But yeah. when it comes to Philippe Toledo, his maneuvers were so critical and so much mm. better than other people that he could do it on a smaller wave. And so I think they still do do that. The, the, I think the problem is it's too simplified because there's so many nuances. So if you mm. try and break it down into that, like you could have two waves and one is bigger than the other, but having a bigger wave might actually be a lot easier to do the maneuver on because maybe it's right. not as steep because it's breaking out a bit further or it allowed you to have a little bit more speed so it's easier to do that move. So the size, you can't always work. And... I think the judge has to, you know, really, you know, account for so much nuance that to just break it down into a, the hang 10 system, I don't think it works. And and I mean, the big criticism, what happened in the past with the hang 10 system, which you might already know, is that what you ended up seeing was a lot of butt wiggling, Boy. they said, yeah. and a lot yeah. of repetition and people doing all sorts of MP. <laughs> MP, yeah, and and they said, and a lot of times the surfing didn't look good, and yeah. it ended up rewarding, yeah, kind of this. It's it's basically it's it's really hard to do. I, th- I, I, I understand the desire for objective objectivity because you want yeah. to you do want to decide who really is the best, but I think I said this to you once before. I think, and I think I was inspired by something Barton Lynch said once. Hmm. What would be what I would like because surfing is subjective, I don't think you can pretend that it's not. I think there is, yeah, like it is harder to do certain things, and you do want to reward innovation and and difficulty and power and speed and all those objective things. But I think what would be interesting would be to have a heat where you almost didn't get a score for each wave but the judges just decided who won that heat, who surfed better, you know, based mm. on their two best waves. So maybe the judges have to decide what the two best waves are. And then they have to decide, each individual judge has to think to themselves, I think this surfer surfed better, or I think this surfer won. Then they don't have to like totally, you don't have the problem of like scoring like a 10 to one person and then the next wave being better 
You know what I mean? Like, let's say, yeah. let's say that Philippe Toledo <clears throat> on his first wave just destroys it and surfs amazingly. He gets a 10. And then in the next wave, Jack Robinson surfs better, but you can't go up, you know, <laughs> you can't do a spinal tap and go to 11. Whereas you could say, I think Jack Robinson surfed better in that heat. So you don't have the scores. Mm. And then also, it would be very interesting if there was, you know, right after the heat, a, some a sort of like a, a, a quick discussion. You know, it would have to be like maybe the head judge says the reason why so-and-so won this is overall on their two waves, they were, their turns were more critical. They had more power. They were more innovative. And then whoever's watching can go back and watch the replay and say, oh, I see what you mean there. I wasn't thinking about that. Mm. Um, I, 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 how do they do it in judging, in boxing? Because it's almost like a round, they give a nod to one over the other, right? Well, I think, I think, so sorry. You have a punching, right? I think boxing is like more like the, um, uh, more like the hang 10 system, you know? Okay. But, but you're not really, you're trying to see who who fought, but you're not really trying to figure out who has a more, who, who's creating better art really. Yeah. I, I like that idea. It just it 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 leaves a lot of uh, gray, right? And and probably makes it rather difficult to sometimes guess, right? And it really then opens up like you can have lots of arguments <laughs> over it. What do you mean? I was shredding. I ripped that wave apart, you know, as opposed to, you know, like well, that's the score and this is what it was. I think it it, it allow it. It, it doesn't leave as much room with the points uh, for, for, for discussion, maybe, mm. you know. Uh, but I do like, I think it would be really cool, actually, to see post-heat discussions of judges being like, oh, I totally think, you know, John John won that heat, you know. I, I, and someone go, I don't know, man. I felt like Felipe, look at that turn. It was more critical. It'd be so entertaining to see the judges more involved in the commentary actually yeah i agree uh, i to yeah. come like on afterwards that. even if it's not every heat if they said yeah. right so that heat before case in point let's yeah have a case study each day yeah and play yeah. it and say do you see what he did here compare that to this the other turn that the other surfer did and you're like oh, oh okay yeah i see what you mean there yeah and they can explain what they're really looking for uh, you know, because the sport is so subjective. And so, especially if you are a, a sur- someone who doesn't surf or is new to surfing, that's a great way to kind of explain it to people, like why you gave this score, why this, you know, like I'm kind of surprised that WSL has not done more of that. You know, they do a really crummy job of explaining why certain surfers got get the score. You know, you hear the, the announcers a lot of times, even say like I don't think he got it, and then all of a sudden they got it, you know, and you're kind of like, well, what happened? Yeah, it would make it a lot more fun as a, a viewer because then you could like test yourself against the judges because you'd be armed with the information on how to do it. Totally. So you I know, mean, does yeah? Uh, do you do you think like have the world championships um, more often than not been successful at determining who is? number one at the time do you think i mean how how often do you think that's happened i think in recent years more so than than in uh than maybe in the past than maybe like the asp days you know of the 80s and and 90s Mm. perhaps you know 
Um, I think it, it's it's definitely you can see who's on. You know, I mean, it, it's kind of. I mean, the level is so good right now. Like, I mean, I don't think anyone's arguing. Last year, Gabriel shouldn't have won the world title. Um, the year the the previous world title was won by Idolo. I don't think anyone's really arguing that Idolo was not deserving of that. You know, so I, I and even like going all the way back, like maybe Adriano's world title. Some people would say, uh, you know, he, he didn't he didn't dominate the season, but he was super consistent. Maybe he did deserve it, but it, was he the best surfer that year? I don't know. McFanning to me felt like almost more, more deserving of the title that year, personally. Um, no, no offense to Adriano, like God, like the guy is like an inspiration as a surfer. But, no, but that's, I guess, a case where it was the, he was the best competitive surfer that yeah, year. Yeah, but, but not the but best he, surfer. But he wasn't the hero, like, yeah, yeah. for his actual. You know, and then you have like Damien Hardman, you know, who was the best competitive surfer, but no one would go on the record and say, Damien is the best surfer, <laughs> you know? <laughs> like, in fact, a lot of people went on the record saying the, the, the contrary at the yeah. time. They said which which sold him short because he yeah. was really, really good. But uh, yeah, because at the time, that was at the time when you had, on either side of him, you had Tom Curran and Martin Potter, you know, winning world championships. And, <laughs> and, and, it, and yeah, he wasn't quite, in their league. But also he was deficient in certain areas, you know, mm -hmm. great competitive surfer in, in certain medium sized waves. But when it came to bigger waves, there was always the question, you know, he never truly performed well in Hawaii. Uh, you know, he made it to the finals of the pipe masters in 91, the year he won his title, but it still wasn't like, Whoa, you know, it was like, okay, he, he passed the bar. And he's kind of up to snuff in bigger ways, but he's not someone who really excels in that. And that's like if Felipe win, wins the world title this year, who's just surfing phenomenally, but there's still a lingering question of whether he can perform at Chopu and Pike and Sunset even. Like he, I mean, well, he did, he did pretty good Sunset actually, but like he just, his surfing in bigger surf is still very, still very questionable, right? Like, is he really the best surfer then? Yeah. Whereas, if you um, like, like when Carissa Moore was in the finals at Pipeline, yeah. you know, like you look at her if she wins this year, you're like, well, yeah, she's you know one of the best in the big surf out of anyone. Totally. When, La when Lane Beachley won, she was like regarded as one of the best big wave surfers in the world. Margaret Oberg was. Yeah. Uh, Tom Carroll, Sean Thompson, you know, they were all really. You know, really, uh, yeah, great accomplished big stuff, yeah, you know, and that's, and I wonder, like, then, you know, remember, like, they used to give like uh, weighted uh, points to certain events, and it was, unfortunately, it was based on money, right? Like, you had yeah, the, the certain Marui Pro, like Danny Wills won won two contests back to back in Japan. It was like out front for most of the year in '98. Because one was like a double points, basically. And they used to have that that kind of, those contests, which were weighted a bit more. But I wonder if they would weight, put more more uh, points for like the bigger wave spots. Or the, like, ah, the so, well, so that's, yeah, like if you're going to decide who the world champion is, like yeah. if you're going to design your perfect tour, yeah, like 
as as far as the events go, not necessarily the format yet, but like which which spots would you have in it, or what kind of waves would you want to have? I so this is like so for our listeners, we're gonna get very personal here. Okay, I'm gonna share something very oh very personal. Um, you know, I this used doesn't to... sound like a, a jumping off point for a person. All I very... asked was, "What what waves do you like, Tyler?" Well, there... Jamie, <laughs> oh, on God. a very special hardcore surf history. Um, <laughs> no, I I um I used to have these Lego surfers that when I was a kid, you know, twelve four, you know, twelve years old, I would make these little Lego surfers and I would have them surf on the carpet and I'd roll over the carpet and I'd have like, I'd run multiple contest formats and world tours in my head. And I know it sounds ridiculous, but I would always have like, I would do, I would take the carpet and I would be like, Oh, we're going to start the tour in this, the small wave segment. And it was at small beach break locations in my Mm. head, you know, and, it was who could do the most radical maneuvers in smaller waves. And it was like really kind of, uh, that was like really, really one kind of, kind of like how they, they used to break up the tour. You'd have like the winner, overall winner of the Australian leg or France. They had like, you know, kind of, uh, you know, the, the, the Sudquest, uh, you know, uh, overall Fran- you know, performer of French leg. I think you do that. Like you have like an overall performer of the small legs part of the tour. And they have everyone surfs tiny waves. And then when I would have like the, the carpet, it would be like, okay, now we're in the perfect performance kind of wave where it was a little bit bigger and it'd be like kind of anywhere from like trestles to G land kind of, you know, J Bay kind of these perfect long drawn out waves that require certain styles surfing. And then you have like, you finish with like your big waves, your heavier waves where the surfers have to, perform in the bigger stuff and that's where you'd have the penultimate you know you'd have the finale basically that's in how i used to do it in my leg on my lego surf tour that's how i did it <laughs> and, and that's i think what they 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 ideally shoot for is that you have a, a range you know like from high performance you know smaller yeah. waves to to thicker mid-size waves and some big waves now the big i think i must have asked you this before like in 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 a in a couple of years on tour, they had yeah. you know the Billabong Pro was run at Waimea Bay. You know Mark yeah. Richards won two of the you know the two of those ones, and it always made you wonder like to decide who the world champion is. Should they be able to surf like a Jaws or a Mavericks? I think Waimea. Toto Santos and Mavericks would be great locations to add to the tour. I think, it, or or even like Pico Alto or Punta de Lobos, you know, um, where where it's pretty consistently big. Uh, you know, those places, you you know, it doesn't have to be like life or death, you know, <laughs> Smirnoff style, but it can be like big waves, you know, where there's definitely a bit of consequence. And but Chopu do, kind do, of do, has do, a bit of that. Yeah, I mean, that's true, actually. Like Chopu, like... Because I always thought that, like, it, thinking back, like, right now, if you were going to take, gosh, I'm trying to think, like, it feels like the years go by really quickly. I was going to say, yeah. if you took, like, a couple of the very best big wave surfers right now, mm-hmm. I guess if you took, well, I guess if you took, like, Albie Lair and um, 
who do you think Scooby, you know, like, or, or, uh, Pedro Scooby would be good. Or, um, but one of those, like, Lucas, one of those, or Kyle, one of those, yeah. One of those specialists, like, and especially if you think back to the eighties where you had like, if, if you did have a contest in Waimea Bay and you just had the top 30 surfers in the world, pro surfers in the world, you'd be missing out on so many of the, the best big wave yeah. riders, you know, yeah, you know, you, you would like, how do you reconcile that with Ken Bradshaw or Roger Erickson? You know, like <laughs> those yeah. guys obviously wouldn't be considered world champion material, but they would yeah. be considered world champion of the big wave. So like, is it, is it important? To, do you think the world champion should have to be one of the best in the giant surf? I don't know if they have to be one of the best, but I think they should be able to hold their own in those types of conditions. Mm. I, I, I do think they should be able to perform in those conditions. I think to truly be considered the best surfer in the world, I think it'd be really cool to see them uh, push themselves in, in waves of consequence like that. Uh, it, it would be f- fuck. It'd be great to see Felipe like be pushed into some of those bigger waves. I think it would help his surfing overall. Uh, and it would put, it would, stop the questions, stop the doubts, you know, if, if they, if he was able to perform at something like that, uh, you know, I think by not having that, having those types of waves, you really limit the, the abilities of these surfers, you know, and limit what they could be doing, you know, I, God, I like, suppose. So imagine, cause imagine this, here's the thing, like Gabriel is fucking amazing right like he's any condition you can put him in he's amazing and i think if you put him or even idolo going to nazare right like they got more comfortable with that sort of stuff i think they could actually push the boundaries of those of those types of waves and surfing in them yeah well okay that brings me to the question like if those kind of like I said, you could be a really awesome big, big wave surfer, but not really a high performance surfer. Um, because it's like a different type of surfing, surfing those really big waves, even the most high performance people aren't really doing big turns on them. You know, they're mainly making the drop, maybe pulling in the barrel. Like does, uh, then you got to say, well, okay, if we're going to have them do something, a type of surfing that's so different from normal high-performance surfing to be determined a world champion, why not then say, okay, but you've also got to be really good at longboarding because that's also a type of surfing. True. I mean, and like I said, like I'm not saying go to Jaws even or, you know, but I'm saying like, Toto Santos is a, is a wave of consequence that I think most of the pros could handle on, on, on most swells. Uh, and it's not totally out of their loop. I mean, if you watch like, you know, certain days of killers, even like that, like Slater in uh, cheap and deep, they have a segment with him surfing that. And he's like kind of ripping and it's, it's pretty big, but it's so not it's, like overly massive either. So the, the criteria for a competition a venue it still has to be a place where you can do turns i think so i think so otherwise it it would be kind of boring you know i don't think you you know i don't think you you you, like i said like i think punta de lobos would be a really good spot because yeah it's like sunset like a big carving big way yeah 
Yeah, you know, I think that that those types of waves would be great um, to put in there. So turns and two brides because because Chopu turns you're not doing no because Chopu you're not doing many turns, especially when it's big. Yeah, you're winning a, on a, on barrels. Yeah, but it's a specialty wave. It's a high performance tube wave. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, here's the thing I wanted to ask though. Um, and I think you, you put it in the notes even is like, you know, these, these formats and, and everything, but there's one thing I think that would be interesting is like, how, how else could it be done? How else could a world tour be done? And, and why hasn't it, it been as explored? Um, you know, I remembered Gary Elkerton saying there should be a heavyweight division and a lightweight division. Oh, a different division. Um, <laughs> you know, but I, I kind of wouldn't mind actually even like, I personally would love to see surfing do something uh, as as a specialty, even like kind of like boxing format, where it's like you have a champion, you have to beat that champion to win the title, uh, mm. you know, format. And then you can have like, you know, the lightweight championship, you know, surfers or the small wave, who's the best surf wave, small wave champion. And it's like, certain beach breaks and they can have like the intercontinental champion. I don't know. Like there's, you know, well, they, now they, you're veering a little bit. Cause I think, okay. The, the part where you said where you should, you know, you can just challenge the champion. Yeah, if you beat I would the love champion, to see then that. but that's, I think, do you know what the, the last event of the year that they yeah. do now, you know, where it's decided in one event where yeah. it's the five surfers yeah, and they're seated, you know, like you have to, you know, surf your way to the top. So yeah. the f- five ranked surfer has to surf against the fourth rank. If they beat them, then they can go against the third rank. And if they beat them, then they can go against the first yeah. ranked one. That's pretty similar, actually, to what you're saying. I know, that- but it would be so fun if someone would be like, Gabriel Medina, I'm coming for you. Chopu, you and I, we're going for it, you know? <laughs> like, it would be awesome to see, like, a little bit of WWE involved in it i guess that's kind of like what i would i would love to see as maybe not so much as a as a subdivision of the world tour right like it would be super cool imagine this like you win the world title for the year and you're the overall champion but the following year on top of just doing your regular contests someone in the top five or top 10 can challenge you if they want and they can say, we want to challenge you to this wave. There'd be some qualifying way for that, for a person to do that. Maybe it's like they win a certain contest or something uh, during that year and say, okay, well, I want to take challenge Gabriel Medina to a heat at Macaroni's and it's videoed and you just show them like surfing like couple days of heats, like going round for round, like, full commentated and everything. It'd be amazing little video offshoot kind of competition. I think that would be hilarious and fun and you can really hype it up too. Kind of like well, Kern think- and Aki at J Bay, you know, or Kern and Aki where they did the master's heats almost. Yeah. I guess that's um, the, the Vans is the Vans, you know, the, the virtual, the, the digital crown. Triple, the triple crown. crown. Yeah. But that's different. But that's kind of like it. That's a, a thing where it's it's alongside it and it's seen who really was the best of the winter, you know, where you have to submit your videos. 
to see it's it's separate from the world tour but it's seeing who really was the best in hawaii for that year i but think i want to see a heat though in like macaron like i want to see a heat with with tactics and strategy and priority even and you know i you think have like a best i think personally if i was a top pro surfer i wouldn't yeah. want to waste my time with that because it's it distracts from the main goal of winning that year and really? it kind of like it's really it's it's fun, but it kind of takes away from the professionalism of, you know, like being an elite I, sports person. And in WWE, just by saying it out loud, it's like, that's not even a sport, you know. It's I just, disagree. I think, and this is where I disagree with you, is first, I think any pro surfer is given a chance to surf with one other person at a certain surf spot that is of a wave of good quality would take that you know there's, no, there's I, that and, and i and, disagree and, and, with that and, because and, it's just like like kelly slater said it gabriel medina said it a lot of times they don't surf when it's not competition like they're they're doing other things now you know and it's like i think it's not would, that i think if you put them and said you get this spot all to yourself and no one else i think most of the surfers would jump at that chance oh and and you get paid for it oh my god yeah that would be amazing. I think everyone would jump at that. Or to see, like, I would love to see, like, Tyler Wright go, Carissa, okay, you and I, Jeffrey's Bay, just you and I. It would be amazing, you know? Just but how come they don't do heat. it? I mean, because that's something that the sponsors could easily orchestrate something. I like don't that. know, because there's a lack of creativity. That's my thought. <laughs> <laughs> um, there's also, you know... There's also a longboard world champ. There's also the uh, amateur ISA world championships, which is a whole nother way of becoming a champion too, which is very interesting. No, it's it's interesting because like um, at certain times in history, the amateur championships have had higher value than others. Yeah, like, I have no idea who who wins the. Actually, is the ISA Championships? Is that that's not amateur anymore? Isn't it like pro am right now? It's kind. Of, yeah, you could be. It's pro am where you could be a. I think a professional competing in it. You know. Yeah. Which is it's, it kind of takes, takes. It's it's almost like what's the point in that? We already have a, a world championship. They've they've well they've become the governing body for the Olympics, and so on one hand, like they're kind of almost a little antiquated in that way, where the Olympics you know now allows professionals in there, whereas yeah. it was the the amateur organization for years, but now it's the de facto one that that interacts with the the Olympic Committee basically. Yeah, and it's yeah, it does. I don't think people. I mean, I don't know. I don't pay much attention to it. I, you don't really see much of it in online forums, it seems. Have, have you, I mean, I went and read the ISA like rule book and, and format and everything for studying this. It's so fucking convoluted. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> it's like, wait, what? Reaper, Reaper charge round. Wait, who goes where? What? This surfer goes to this one, but they have like a map, a whole charted map of like, how, like it's like this crazy road direction of like how to get to a final in, in ISA. And it's like confusing as heck. Like, and what's uh, the purpose of the ISA championships? Uh, it's to determine now who goes to the Olympics. But so, but <laughs> this good. part I'm a little unclear on yeah. because 
with the Olympics last time, I know yeah. they had that, and they were talking about having the ISA be a feeder into it. But if you were in, if you were one of the top two rated surfers in your country on the WCT yeah. tour, then you didn't have to do the ISA thing. You right? still had to compete in one or two ISA events. Like but, I think there was there was that that one caveat. But you had to enter it, but it didn't matter. Yeah. Like if you did poorly in it, if if like first priority yeah. was if you got that, if you got scored in the top two from your yeah. country. But then if your country wasn't on, didn't have anyone on the tour, yeah, then you could do the ISA, and that would be your way of getting in. Yeah, yeah. Ah, but it's okay. okay. So like, there's sense. you know there there's a lot of countries that aren't represented on the WSL on the on the right. CT level. So, so that's why you need the ISA one. Yeah, you know, and it it represents so many different countries. You know, it's it's crazy, and there are people, you know, from from Sweden who rip, who may not have the opportunity to be on tour, but could actually rank pretty high on some of those uh, in ISA events. You know, yeah, that that'll make sense. So that um, that's probably the reason why. You know, <laughs> I guess that's the purpose of that organization it's it interesting back in the 80s like the world amateur championships they meant something it 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 was interesting because it got it got press coverage and a lot of the top amateur surfers you know wanted to enter it yeah you know kelly slater wanted to do well and it um but it's interesting kelly slater points out yeah you know in his interview with jamie brizick the other day that it was really only a few people who had won the world amateur titles who went on to great pro success, you know, yeah. like it was, I think Tom Curran lost to Glenn, Glenn Rawlings from yeah. Australia in one of them. And I don't, uh, you know, the only time I've ever heard of Glenn Rawlings apart from that was he had one wave and blazing boards, you know, <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, maybe he did other things, but like, and Scott Farnsworth won it in 84 and, and he, he he never made it into the top thirty afterwards. Yeah, he made it onto a, our first podcast though. Yeah, <laughs> but there's only a, a few, you know. Um, yeah, like who who did well in those those contests, you know? Like, I mean, let's see. Can you name any who who went on to good careers? You know, well, of after course. Tom Curran and yeah. Vitea David in the women's. I don't know who won the them that i don't know any winners who went on i was trying to look success. look it up actually you know lisa anderson was on the u.s team at she one was point. in i know she yeah. was on it but i don't yeah. think she even placed in the top three I no she didn't and it was um i feel like yeah it's it's I feel like maybe Katie Simmers right now is is one who, who who's doing the ISA and also the um, is going to have a really good career potentially, um, but yeah, it's it is weird, right? Like I remember in '86, I think it was Nia Post, I think who yes, or '88 Nia Post, and, I, and she was getting Post. all these. Attention. She was sponsored by OP, I think, and she was getting all these ads, but I don't think she ever she made it. Great to the top style, 30. she surfed so nice, actually. Yeah, um, you know. Fabio Goivea had a pretty good career. Oh, that's he true. Won, yes, he of won course. 1988 in, in Puerto Rico. Um, you know who else had a pretty good pro career is Kalani Rob. He won in uh, 94 in Brazil. Oh, did he? Uh, yeah. Oh, wow. Okay. Chad Edson, uh, Chris, Chris 192, Brown. didn't really have a good one. No, uh, Chris, <laughs> Chris Brown won 
in Puerto yeah. Rico in the 88. Yeah, juniors, um, you know. Yeah, he did all right. You know, and then uh, then he had like a bunch of randoms, you know. And, yeah. and then the 90, was it 96 is when they started letting the pros enter. And that's yeah. when Taylor Knox won. Right. Oh. No, and then with the with the longboard thing, I think we talked exhaustively about it in in one of our yeah. last episodes. Yeah, so. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and we will be right back. Hiring for a small business is critical. It's imperative that you find a highly qualified professional to treat and grow your business with the same care and detail that you do. LinkedIn Jobs will be your next big unlock. LinkedIn Jobs has created the tools to find the right professionals for your team fast and for free. Everybody is already on LinkedIn with their resume and their references. So the fact that LinkedIn built a hiring platform to connect the dots between everything is simple genius. It's way more sophisticated than a job board. It's a vast network of more than a billion professionals meticulously organized to connect people by skill set, desire, ambition, all in an effort to help us advance our position. And it's easy to use and intuitive. So effective that 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Fast hiring solutions means achieving your goals in record time with rapid growth in 2024. LinkedIn Jobs will even help you write the job descriptions and give you tools and prompts to help you interview your candidate like a pro. LinkedIn.com slash surf is where you go to post your job for free. Yes, totally free. And you can let the world's largest social network of business professionals work to connect you with the ideal candidate to help you grow your business. That is LinkedIn.com slash surf to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. And now back to our show. Um. You know, who are some of your favorite world champions? Well, I thought if if I was going to pit the the world champions who I think were considered the best, um, yeah. like I think as as far as the women goes, and I'm I'll tell you who my five who I thought were the best who like they were people who when they won the world title they were probably also considered the best in the world, right? But you know, Margot Oberg, of course, uh, Steph Gilmore, Lane Beachley, Lisa Anderson, Carissa Moore, maybe Joyce Hoffman. I'm not sure, but the field was quite small at the time, I guess. Frida Zamba, dude, how could you not? Because I Come don't on. think she rips. Oh my yeah, god! Yeah, but at the time, I was there. I remember. It's, yeah, people thought you know it was her. Kim Merrig was also you know really popular time, and also Frida Zambo was often you know pointed out how she wasn't very um great in big waves you know at the time mm. jody cooper was was considered much better in big waves as it was actually yeah. you know and lynn boyer was still around and yeah Margaret Oberg. so frida zamba i don't think was considered she was considered like a, a competitive god but not necessarily like the best surfer you know I, that's wendy my recollection botha? of it what about wendy botha uh yeah i had her on there and then i thought uh, at the time you know frida zamba was considered just as good i think and lisa anderson was also on her way up so i don't know if she was considered it's possibly possibly yeah. for men i had 
uh, you know, there's Gabriel Medina, Kelly Slater, Andy Irons, Tom Curran, Tom Carroll, Sean Thompson as yeah, well. I mean, definitely. he was, I think when he won, he was probably considered the best surfer in the world. And, and Nat Young as well. Um, what about MR? Would you put MR? <laughs> well, so MR, I thought about that. It's funny because I remember people were talking about MR as being like, some people thought he was the best surfer in the world. But yeah, the whole Sean Thompson thing, I think. Uh, but I guess you could have two people who are considered the best in the world at the same time. Yeah, yeah he was... I mean, and Shane, I mean, Shane Horan, you know, four-time runner-up, I mean... Well, exactly. Shane Horan and Dink Aloha were yeah. also considered possibly... You know, some people probably thought they were better than um, MR as well. So that's why I think it was a bit... I don't think he was considered, like, the absolute god at the time. As he was a god, but not yeah. like not like when, when, when Curran won and his world titles like everyone kind of said oh, he's the best and same thing with even andy irons i think people thought he was better than slater at the yeah. time maybe you know so that's why mr didn't make the cut do you think me. would you put martin potter because that year he really was the best surfer but then curran being absent is also a weird thing that's the thing there was it was it felt like a little bit of an asterisk at the time, I mean, Ooh. even though you you thought that okay, if if anyone else had won it that year, it would have definitely had an asterisk, you know. But because it was Potter, and people for years, a lot of people considered him their favorite surfer in the world. So like, it was like yeah, but but had Tom Curran been at his best, it would have been it would have been tricky. What about Mick Fanning? I mean, three times. I uh, mean, he he was. I mean. At the same time, though, like Slater was still considered possibly one of the best. Mm -hmm. Joel Parkinson was considered probably, you know, as good or if not better. And Andy Irons a, a little bit. So I, I feel like, and Mick's good in big waves, but I, yeah. I don't know if he, he had that. He wasn't as good as, as the other guys, I think, you know. And I think Ch Chaz Smith colored Italy because he always said that McFanny was kind of uh, predictable in his surfing. So I think mm. it's a hard one because McFanny is an unbelievable yeah. surfer and and obviously an unbelievable competitor. Do you have I John really John like in there? Him. Ah, yeah, of course. I can't believe I forgot. I think it's because he hurt himself. I've been trying. Yeah. To, I've been living in denial that he exists <laughs> right now because it's too it's too hard to think about. It. Yeah, John John, of course, definitely right. John John. What about? But this? I did think I did think. Yeah. Oh, sorry. If all no, the past it. champions competed against each other, what places would they would come in? And that's a little oh. bit different. But did you think of who you might have? Your I mean, you pretty much named named pretty much all. But I mean, which like, order? With the, that's the interesting one. Which who would order? Oh well, okay. And and uh, and can I just so, say? So you're basically oh, yeah, doing the Derek Hine thought experiment here. Right. Right. All right. So for our listeners, which was if you're based not familiar, off of... Do you want to explain it? No. No. You go for it. The, the Surfer's Journal uh, ran an article from Derek Hind where he imagined uh, past world champions and basically competing in, in, in each other in a tournament-style format, but it was like Tom Kerr in 1990 versus, you know, uh, Kelly Slater, 1997. You know, it was like their peak years and who would come out on top, basically. 
and he goes into descriptions and why he chose the surfer to come out on top, which in his mind, Tom Kern came out on uh, top. Tyler, on you yeah. should have let me explain. Uh, go explain it. Got it really <laughs> murky there. All right, you go. I was the trying fir- to just do an overview of it. No, but it's there's some things wrong. You said okay. a few things which are factually incorrect. <laughs> okay, well then correct so, them. So the very first thing is it was based off the really famous thing that happened where when Muhammad Ali was at his peak, people were talking about, was he the greatest? I mean, Muhammad Ali said he was the greatest. <laughs> that was his uh, yeah. catch line. But a lot of people said, ah, he's not as good as Rocky Marciano. And um, <laughs> Rocky Marciano, Joe, Rocky Marciano. Joe Lewis's ass. <laughs> yeah. So they, what they did was they took video footage. They, this was really interesting. They had Rocky Marciano and who was, I think he was probably like in his forties at the time they had him come in and they had Muhammad Ali and they filmed them sparring. And from all these different angles, they filmed all these different scenarios, almost like programming a computer game. And they had the two of them come in every day and they would film the two of them like fighting, but not really fighting. And then they fought, they, they filmed them both knocking each other out. And then they took all that footage and they put it off to one side. Then they had a computer. Now, this is the 70s, I think. So yeah. it's pretty. And they had a computer determine what would happen in each round and then who the winner would be. And then they edited it all together and they aired it around the world. And everyone watched this fight to see who would win against each other. And it was super fascinating. So Derek Hine wanted to recreate that. Now, the things, the, the two things which. Uh, you got slightly incorrect was one it wasn't all world champions simon anderson no. was in it terry right. fitzgerald was in it ian cairns a, a lot of non-champions but it was surfers from the 70s and 80s and 90s who was put into it and Derek hind um he didn't he what they do is they had five judges and he, i think he was only one of the judges they had uh, claw warbrick was one of the judges al hunt was one of the judges jack shipley was one of the judges <laughs> Um, uh, Renato Hickel was one of the judges and Derek Hind was and they all and they and then um, the guy Wire I, think, I don't know what his real name is this this guy who lives on the, in Tasmania he oh no on King Island King Island yeah. you know off Tasmania he would roll a dice and then he would pick out certain things from a hat to say which which uh, surf spot it would be in, which year, you know, the surf was competing, all that stuff. And from that, they they decided it. So it wasn't um, just uh, Derek Hind who thought out. And uh, in the end, Kelly Slater beats Tom Curran in the finals. Oh, no, Tom Curran beat Kelly Slater in the finals. Yeah. But, yeah, so it's kind of that. I I know I've, I've chosen some surfers and then thought... Because obviously, if you're going to say who who would win, if you had like all the world, you know, a bunch of world champions from the past, you say, well, Gabriel Medina, because he's better than all of them, or or John Florence, because he's actually better than all of them. But I'm trying to like almost say like, you know, when they say like how much was like $10,000 worth in today's money? Yeah, yeah. That's what I was thinking when I did right. mine. You know, <laughs> if they were all born in the same generation, basically, yes. and given like the same equipment, you know, who who would come out on top? basically yeah so did you uh think of who you were 
who your top three or five were. I mean, it's it's pretty pretty easy <laughs> for me. I mean, well, all right, well, let's hear. What did you come up with? I mean, it's 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 uh, Curran, Slater, and then uh, third, I I was kind of torn, but I picked Gabriel. You know, mm-hmm. and then for women, it was um, it was actually I put you know uh, Carissa, Steph, and Frida. And um, how come Frida over like uh, she like was a, or Lisa Anderson? Because Frida was just such a competitive machine, and she kind of went out on top almost. You know, she she beat Lisa Anderson in the ninety. I mean, Lisa Anderson just barely beat her in the ninety four U.S. Open. But like, honestly, like I've seen Frida surf, and she surfs so fucking good still at her age. She mm. rips, and like, I don't know. I think she just didn't have certain motivation, you know? And I think if she had the funding and had the support, she probably could have kept going for a while and could have been pretty dominant into the nineties if she had wanted, you know? And so yeah, I think she did have that steely and, and she was, and she was separate from the rest, you know, she yeah. wasn't friends and, with everyone. So that probably really helps. You know, she was focused on competing. Yeah. I, that was, that, that was my, my call. You know, I felt Lisa Anderson surfed great. I just, I don't know if I would give her that competitive, like, er, as much. Mm. She had more of a Potter-ish kind of, she got, she, I don't want to say she, she surfed amazing to win her four world titles, but it was, to me, I feel like she didn't have that, that kind of competitive er aura to me, that, that grit in some ways. I think it was, she just surfed so good. You know, she was be- above everyone, but I feel like there's that competitive grit that I was looking for. Yeah, her talent was, was yeah, was, was instrumental in it all. Yeah. yeah. Um, what about you? I had, for women, I had yeah. Margot Oberg as number mm. one. Because of the two things yes. you kind of said, you know, like, I feel like she was so determined. Damn. And Damn, she so also... Good. And she was, if, if you're having it in the waves of consequence as well, you know, yeah. she was, she has that, you know, over so many others. Um, and also she kind of kept everyone at arm's length as well. So that kind of really helps, I think, just like you were saying. I then had Lane Beachley as second because mm. of very similar, similar thing. And I think she was so determined and so single-minded that that helped. Um, Carissa Moore for third, just because she's, so just oh, she's so well-rounded she's such a um, talented surfer but she's also mm. really really good at competition she has longevity as well like yeah and and she can surf big waves as well um i, ha- I have steph gilmore's fourth mm. and then lisa as fifth actually i had and then Damn. for the men's i had gabriel as number one because i think gabriel i mean he's just a freak in yeah. every direction he's a freak um, and then Kelly Slater, because he's a freak. <laughs> yeah. But then I, you know, like I had Mark Richards next, cause I think Mark Richards is just a really, his mental resilience and confidence, I think is, is so useful in competition. Like he, I think he has very few chinks in his armor. And I think with that, he could just beat people and enjoy it 
and not be all stressed out and doubting himself. <laughs> you know, I think, and then also he's yeah, just such a clever and he's very versatile. You know, he can surf any waves. Then I have Tom Curran because when Tom Curran is, you know, feeling it, you know, yeah. <laughs> he's, he's so single-minded. And then Derek Mick Fanning. Reckons he, Derek reckons Tom never hit a hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and, and then Mick Fanning I had uh, as fifth. I, I felt like Andy Irons was too mercurial, obviously, you know, and um, especially if he was surfing against everybody, I feel like he might get kind of carried away. Um, whereas when he was just surfing in Slater, I think he could focus all his attention on that and hating Slater. Whereas mm. if he was going against the others, I feel like he'd like the others too much, you know, and he wouldn't have his... Uh, let me let me ask you this: What were the best world titles won? Ah, that's a good one. You know, like that's that to me also is is really something that that like there's so, there's something magical when when it comes down to the wire and and that surfer is able to lift themselves to 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 that world title to to make it through those rounds to win that world title. I I have to say it's weird. Like, I think one of the most exciting ones was Barton Lynch. Yes. I, I was going to mention that too. I also wonder if we're a bit clouded because of the way Chris Bystrom narrates it in around the world. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I mean, that's the thing. It's, it's the full package. It was, it was covered so well like yeah we saw it in on um on the you know around the world in 80 waves we saw it on the surfer magazine tv show we saw it on the es normal espn um it was done so you could go on youtube and there's there's like a whole bunch of things but also the drama of tom yeah. carroll and, and damien hardman also going for it and how tom carroll was regarded as the best surf in the world that year like everybody just thought it was his year and how he didn't get it and how Barton Lynch you know you know it's not wasn't regarded as the most talented out of out of the bunch at the time you know out of the, all the top surfers but he he was amazing in big surf you know and small surf like he just I, I, I just tr- thought he was so cool in big waves I just thought he was so cool in big waves. if I'm also if I also if I'm not corrected the final event was the only event he won that during that season. Oh, I don't know. I, I, I believe it was, you know, um, might've had one other. I'm sorry. But the other thing we should mention is that year was also a split year. It was the year that the ASP decided to go into the, the regular normal year calendar, as opposed to overlapping years. Cause it the used, shortened year. Yeah. The short, it was a shortened year. And I also and it still had a million events. In it. it had a Maybe. ton of events. That was the year Damien Hardman won seven events. Mm. He won seven events. It was the most won in a season. The only person to match that is Curran and Slater. Yeah. And, and he didn't win the world title. Uh, Tom Carroll was, was looking so good going into it because he won at sunset and he was looking strong and it was pipe which was his thing and then he just interfered on todd holland which was such a weird interference call by the way like he paddled for a wave he didn't really affect todd holland's wave but 
somehow it was an interference and he was knocked out and then that was it. And, and the waves were pumping. It was the last day of the waiting period of the Billabong Pro and they moved it, you know, to pipe, you know, and, and it was the most dreamy, magical conditions. And the surfing was phenomenal that that year. Yeah. And it was it was it was such a good competition. Yeah. And, and, and then even, you know, he won it in the semis and then he still had to go and surf his final against Luke yeah. Egan and he won the yeah. final on top of it, you know? Yeah. It, it and also what I really respect is that he wore a helmet, you know, he's yeah. been sensible. <laughs> maybe that's the only world title ever won with a helmet on. Maybe that might be. Um, what about, I mean, I think other world titles would be 95 Kelly Slater winning winning it there at pipe also was pretty yeah. dramatic oh but then the uh, year that i mean there's there's are so many in like the yeah. year that slater and uh andy irons won each well like like four or five events each you know like yeah. even though it was it kind of excluded everyone else from 2004. it 2004 such a yeah and like a real rivalry especially like after years of them saying kelly slater never had like a real consistent rival Right, and he even retired, and it felt like, well, that was Slater's career. He never had like a real major full time rival, and we had no idea what was coming. And then we got we got it served up to us on a plate. It was great. I feel like um, it was uh, 2017, I believe, with Tyler Wright uh, winning it at, in Honolulu, which came down to the wire, and she had to come back, you know, and like she was injured and everything, and won. yeah, it was yeah, pretty dramatic. Uh, I, I I have to mention that one it was pretty good, and then um, I'm trying to think. With it's really unfortunate that the the women have not been given enough press to give that to add to the drama. Probably that really was happening. I think Pauline Menser's win is probably one of the all time best world title wins. By the way, that one in '93 where she had rheumatoid arthritis. And had to come from behind to win it. And she won at Sunset. Or yeah, didn't win at Sunset. Crazy. They made it to the final at Sunset. It was crazy. That was crazy shit. <laughs> it's like, you, you, don't hear, you don't hear a lot about you know, having to overcome an injury and surfing through the injury to win the world title, too. Like, you, you, there's not too many stories like that. And hers is pretty fucking crazy, actually. And she didn't get paid for that world title. Until a couple of years ago. It was crazy. And wasn't that um, people doing a crowdfunding? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was... Uh, yeah, I think that uh, that's that's a good one to end on right there oh, no. as far as uh, best world titles. No, Idolo and Gabriel too. Yeah. You gotta put... That was like... That was pretty fucking awesome. That one well, was pretty dramatic. So that begs the question. So that... That that world title went down to the wire, the last heat at, at Pipeline of the last event yeah. of the year. And that seemed to be the inspiration, or at least the the thing which um gave credibility to the idea of having a final event world title like we yeah. have now. But all those world titles we were just talking about, you know, kind of it was serendipitous that they were so amazing. It it was just because of all these 
external events that just happened to happen and that made them special. Now, even though it's exciting having the last event, it's orchestrated. Like, will we ever have, will you ever talk about, I suppose if the waves are incredible. um, And if someone goes from fifth to world title. Yes. Yeah. Like if someone climbs that ladder from fifth place and wins it, that will be pretty awesome. Yeah. Yeah. That will be pretty, pretty wild. And and really cool to see. I would so love to who, see that. Who do you think's gonna do it this year? I think Felipe's kind of got it in the bag. I I yeah. think I think he's just he's surfing so good, and he I mean Jack could do it too, but you know they have to win three heats, you know. And Felipe is going to be number one coming into the finals, pretty much. Well, Jack's number two right now. So yeah, he, he but he still to, has to win three heats against. Uh, it's best two out of three. Oh, I, I see what you mean. Yeah, in the final, yeah. so it's not like it's 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 not totally luck of one heat. You know, there's there's a best two out of three, so he has to win like you know two heats off Felipe at Trestles. Oh, and you just where, don't think that's possible? Like, I just think Felipe lives at Trestles. He looked really good last year, even. And I, I, you know, I think the surfing is really good. It would be cool to see and Ethan Ewing, you know, have a go also. Yeah, I, I just really like Philippe Toledo as well. I like him as a person. Like, yeah. I, I, I always really liked him as a person. I don't know if that's a popular thing or not, but I just, yeah, he he's someone like who, like, I actually, guy. yeah, I always root for him. He's very likable. He's very likable, I think, you know. Um, Do you think Carissa's uh, going to win on the yeah. women's side? <laughs> I mean, it's interesting because I, I do think she will. I, I do. I think she she's pretty much, you know, got it. You know, I, 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 there there's some, some good surfers on, you know, female surfers, but I think Carissa's really still, like, just so good and it trestles. It'll be interesting. I, I really, you know, I do, you know, like a lot of people complain about this format, but I like it. I, I don't see any difference from this format to the Super Bowl or World Series, really. You know, yeah, it's not yeah, all yeah. That, that different. Um, I also, I, I think... This is what I think they should do, though. They should have an MVP of the year, like kind of the, the MVS of the year, most valuable surfer of the year, the one who is most consistent. Yeah, but that you could just look at with numbers. That's who I know, is. but it'd be good to acknowledge it, the WSL. You know? Yeah. Well, the reason they do MVP in baseball, anyways, because you don't team. have in, yeah, you don't, you need, that's yeah. the only way you can do it, have an individual award, I guess. You know? I don't know. I think it would be kind of cool to to see. Or, yeah, I mean, it's fun to think of all the different ways they could crown a world champ, you know. And I don't know. Uh, I think it. I do think it, there's there should do more specialty stuff though throughout the year. I think it'd be really fun. Well, maybe I, you should write um a manifesto and submit it to Elo. Well, there was a skate video. It was like Mullen, Rodney Mullen versus, oh, I'm totally blanking on this. He, he, he was against another skater. Basically, they did a video and they went and skated all these different spots 
and it was like a compare I mean, it was a competitive video basically to see who was was bet- the better skater in the 90s that they did this with these videos these series mm-hmm. and it's kind of cool uh, they'd be really cool to take like some of the top like one or two of the top surfers and then be like okay we're flying you're doing for the next month we're going to fly you to these three spots and we're going to see who's really like no holds barred you know world, world who's the best that'd be cool i think they should do um at the wave pool what they should instead of having a normal event at the wave pool they should do it like uh like they did did. i don't know if they do this at all uh sports like this but remember like in hot dog when they had to say what they were going to do on their jump yes they tuck tuck with a twist and triple you know like if they actually said right what I'm going to do is I'm going to do a bottom turn first. I'm going to do this here and I'm going to try and do this. And then they have to actually stick to it. So it actually shows your ability to choreograph a ride and then give an award to like the best choreographed ride. Well, I think, um, I think there will be eventually like a wave pool world tour. I think that's, that's something that will happen in the future. And I think, Cause, cause there's too much money involved in wave pools right now. They're going to need to do something to legitimize it. And I think it's, I think it could be really cool. And I think the format of uh, like a game of horse could be really interesting, you know, where one does like a bunch of maneuvers on a wave and then the next surfer has to hit those maneuvers and then they have to maybe add a maneuver to it. You know, that'd be kind of interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, to see I, I i don't know like i think that's the only way to wake, make wave pool surfing interesting in a, as a competitive format uh other than like airs but airs is like again that can be kind of boring after a while also yeah yeah but i think like horse or like you said like maybe it's like you have to execute these maneuvers on the wave uh and we'll judge you on those maneuvers and then whatever extra you get a certain points uh, built up that's going to be yeah. interesting doing the waves yeah it could be cool uh, uh wave pools all right all it right. seems like you are ready you are ready for this championship of uh of you know what it is stump, stump ma, ma, ro. Ro. <laughs> i've only got one okay all right i've got two all right i'm gonna let you go first then Okay. Um, so it's interesting, this first one. There, there was one world championship mm-hmm. in which it's technically debatable whether or not it was officially a world championship. Do okay. you know? CJ Hobgood, 2001. Nope. What? That, that officially was a world championship. He won I it. thought you meant like an asterisk kind of thing no not an asterisk like actually where if you went back and looked at all the stuff technically this could be counted as not a world championship but they they usually do count it as a world championship is it before can i ask a few questions here like is this before ips then yes okay all right huh would you then consider it like what mark richards no, 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 no. It's nothing like that. Oh. Would it? No, if you don't know it, you don't know it. 
Okay. The, no, it's in, in 19, the 1965 World Championships held yeah. in Peru, um, in which Felipe Pomar won the men's yeah. division and Nat Young got second. Nat Young got second in that, and by like one or two points, he lost. Yeah. Like he could have been. Do you know, first of all, do you know who the women's world champion was? Joyce Hoffman. It was. Yeah. But. But. In, and this is from the EOS, it's debatable as to whether or not the women's event in 1965 was even technically a world championship event because, and this is from Surfer Magazine, they mm. said the the girls' contest was held at um, the Waikiki Surf Club in Miraflores, but this was not connected with the official world contest. Oh. that That's what it says in Surfer Magazine. Now, now the thing is, what, what Matt says is that there was shockingly little coverage of the women's event, so there's not much to go on. Um, but this is what Surfer said, and then also some other evidence as to why it possibly wasn't um, officially the World Surfing Championships was because 1964 World Champion Phyllis O'Donnell she didn't mm-hmm. go to Peru, but she did compete in the 64 one, obviously, and the 66 and the 68 one. So why did she miss this one? And the thing is, you know, it was the I, it was the ISF's first yeah. world title because the very first world championships held at Manly, yeah. there was no yeah. ISF yet. Yeah. They organized it at the event itself. And then the next year, it seems that based on the written evidence, and it'd be interesting to ask Joyce Hoffman herself, um, it wasn't officially a world championships, but they call it that because it happened at the same time and everyone was there. So that's an interesting. interesting. Okay. Uh, well, I got to thinking a lot about runner ups and what like the world tour would look like without the world champs. Do you ever think about that? The what ifs? Oh what yeah. If? Yeah. Charlie I Slater know. I was thinking King. like if, yeah. What a different, like to think of what a different world Gary Elkerton if he was the champ, you know, all those time. Him and Shane Horan and Philippe Toledo. Like, if yeah. Philippe Toledo doesn't win the world title, it's going to be like, wow, you know, like these are people who are just amazing. Or Jody Cooper, you know, like, yeah. Or Taj yes, Burrow. Any, ah, of course, Taj Burrow. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, it's interesting because, like, I, I wonder, like, what, what sort of world would we live in? You know, like, Tom Kern didn't win the world title. Barton would have potentially have won, uh, I think, you know, yes. uh, you know, a world title earlier on. Um, you know. What would the butterfly effect be? You know, like, exactly. would we have world peace now or would it completely be a falling <laughs> apart? You know? would our, what would our styles look like? You know, because everyone copied Kern's style. You know, yeah, if all it, of us had white fluffy beards right now instead of, um, <laughs> or if Shane, if Shane had had one, you know, maybe we'd everyone would be pra- really into yoga and you know, on, on spirituality and all of that stuff and keel fins, yeah, yeah, yeah. Shane won, people oh. would, would, would be riding keels a lot more, probably, right? Oh, he would have been a great champion, yeah. Well, with that, then, uh, who on the women's side has the most runner-ups? Oh. 
And what would the women's world look like then without that person? Yeah. Now, because I, oh. I was looking for women's runner-ups, and all the ones I could think of off the top of my head, they all eventually did win world championships, yeah. apart from Jody Cooper. Um, mm. So is it Pam Burridge? No, Pam won in 19. No, I know, but you yeah. said who had the oh, most no, runner-ups. No, no, Sally Fitzgibbons. Actually. She's had the most runner-ups. She's had three uh, in in a row, oh, 10, 11, and oh. 12. And you she know? got cut midway this I year. I know. Oh. <sighs> you know, and she like, doesn't, you know, like, doesn't have like major main sponsors, you know, like. Does she, I mean, she had, yeah, Kind of. I mean, she has main sponsors, but it's like not like main surf sponsors so much. Like she's right. Under Armour like and. A- Almond breeze and she's huge, you know, but it is interesting, right? Like, God, she, she, had she won, been able to win the world titles, like she would have been like, she's big now, but I think would have been even bigger, you know, cause she has really famous in Australia. She's, she's sponsored famous, by Brightling, isn't she? Yeah. She's got like the charisma, the, the uh, upbeat attitude, the looks, like all of that stuff, you know, it really would have like, sent her into the stratosphere i think you know um yeah so that was my uh stump that's a good one yeah do you know who also tied shane haran by the way for most runner-ups was it joe parkinson yes but he did eventually win a world title he He didn't give up (laughs) hey shane didn't give up I didn't say Shane gave up, but had Shane maybe made the switch to thrusters a bit earlier on, he might have won uh, and yeah, didn't piss maybe. off the bronze Aussies, maybe. Uh, <laughs> well, yes, that's true. Do you yeah. want to talk about that real quick? That's an intro. I, I don't know the full, I don't remember the full details, but I, I know it was like down to Heat and Holly Eva, basically, where he could have won the world title, but because he left the bronze Aussies. Well, I think uh, he was surfing against Pete Townsend, maybe. Yeah. And- he could would have let him win if he was still on the the team. Yeah. And instead they harassed and hassled him in the water and wouldn't let him get away, basically. <laughs> what was uh Mark Richards uh called it um in 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 the his during his reign, he, he said it was the campaign to put down the brat. You know? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so <it was> the brat. <laughs> okay. Your next one. Um, I don't know how interesting this one is, but you know, Bob Evans had. Oh, you wanted to. You wanted to talk about like what? Why did Bob Evans? Why was he so motivated to? Yeah. Um, you know, like create the world championships in the first place, and you know, like one of the big reasons was because before that, the Makaha International Contest was considered like the de facto world championships because yeah. it was like the biggest one. But the problem was. In all the Makaha championships, like pretty much the Hawaiians just like won every heat. And there was a lot of all the judges who were Hawaiians. Yeah. So a lot of the international surfers were like, brah, this, they weren't like brah. <laughs> they weren't allowed to say it. They, they were like, <laughs> but if they were, they would be like, brah. <laughs> so, you know, bro, come on, man. Come on, man. <laughs> and, um, and, and they also said, you know, like it was a bit old fashioned and everything. So, he wanted to create a legitimate world surfing championships, but also he, you know, he was such a big promoter, like everything that 
made that made surfing bigger like served all his other purposes you know like his his magazines and yeah. his films and everything but um there this possibly there's one event that took place at the Maca- the last Makaha International the one in 1963 that may have been given him a little bit more motivation to create the world titles to kind of get back at the Makaha kind of like they say like maybe Donald Trump felt a little mm. bit more uh motivation to run for president because of uh, Barack Obama making fun of him at the um the press event you know anyway do you know what the uh, the thing that happened was I do not know what happened well so Bob Evans was in in Hawaii, and he I was actually looking after the the Hawaii the Australian team and taking him there. And just before the event started, all of the Aussies' boards were stolen. And when you know, like he he went up to the contest officials and said, "You know, guys, this is this is you know, this is you know, a really big problem. Something needs to be done." Apparently, the contest officials were like, "Yeah, whatever." They didn't seem too concerned. And so he wrote an article about it, and he described the contest, the Makaha contest, as a complete farce, which is, that's fighting words, if ever there was any. I'm surprised he ever went back to Hawaii. Well, I don't know if he did. <laughs> he did, yeah, right. <laughs> oh. And then a, a very quick little stump for yeah. you. Who was the first women's pro longboard champion? Oh, gosh. Because you know Nat Young was the first men's one. Yeah. I don't know, Cord. Uh, fuck. Who? Daisy Shane. Oh shit. Daisy Shane Good Goodwin. Right. Wow. Roxy. Yeah, that makes sense. Wow. I can't believe it took that long. To have like a women, like that must have been what, like 99, I think? Oh, yeah. I think it was, it was, it was after, you know, it was several years after Nat Young had won. Well, Nat won like in like 87 or something, right? Or 88, was it? Yeah. Some, one of those years. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, early 90s, I think it was. Yeah. No, Daisy Shane was like late 90s. Oh, uh, where is it? I've got it. Have I got it up here? Mm. I've got it. Oh, no, 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 no. Uh, I'll have to look it up. We can post I, it I'm in uh, Instagram. pretty sure it was like 99 or something or 80, 98, like definitely late 90s. But yeah, kind of the late 90s when I yeah. was, uh, you know, on a first name basis with her. <laughs> <laughs> what are you laughing at? When you lived in Hawaii and you were yeah, serving yeah, yeah. Uh, no, tofu she, burgers. Yeah, she knew me. And eating off Slater's plates. <laughs> I ate off her plate once. <laughs> oh, did you now? It's <laughs> inappropriate, Jamie. Um, one thing we did discuss real quick, I think we should mention is is the professional surfing, which which fueled one or the other. Professional surfing fueled the surf industry, or the surf industry fueled pro surfing. Because it feels like the the professional surfing kind of came first in some ways like the industry was kind of there but really the clothing companies hadn't really kicked into gear and they used professional surfing as a way of legitimizing them as well so it's a 
I don't know. We didn't really discuss that aspect of it and mm. why there's a world champ, why there's a world championship. A lot of it has to do, you know, especially during the eighties and nineties and early two thousands because the industry wanted it. Yeah. But I think the surf industry grew not because they were selling to surfers, but because they were selling to the mainstream, you know, of course, uh, no, definitely. But both kind of, added legitimacy to each other i think yeah i don't know i think danny quok and um what are all the other echo Bob beach McKnight. guys that oh, they would know yeah. the parker um yeah the Jeff, they, they they'd all uh argue that it was them and they weren't <laughs> uh on pro tour <laughs> true well uh another great episode jamie uh that was a real fun one uh, for all our listeners, thank you for listening and um, hope you all enjoy the upcoming finals, which will be happening in uh, September, early September. We still have Chopu left on the tour. Uh, but in the meantime, uh, the Hardcore Surf History Podcast is produced by Surf Splendor Network, and you can follow us at Core Surf History. And uh, yeah, anything else, Jane? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay here's here's one last one who's your favorite surfer to never win a world title your personal oh Denke Aloha Ooh. yeah without even thinking about it yeah damn alright I, I can go with that one too <laughs> <laughs> I also really like Kong I love Kong yeah I was gonna I, say Kong actually you know the other night I watched Mad Wax again and oh. He's he's such a um, expressive surfer, like just yeah. a really when he's on good waves, he just he's he's not as smooth or clean, you know. He's but he just he's real personality. I think he's a beautiful surfer, actually. So uh, I like Kong. I love his Parkinson hands. He's really good. Yeah, but Dane 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 was like just he was a god, and he really was like. He was one of the gods of that era, and he, he should have won it. And he didn't. Yeah, for a whole that's another whole other episode though we can go into. Yeah, Ooh, or just read the latest whole, issue of Surfer's Journal. Yeah, or we can go into a whole whole uh, whole thing of surf scandals. That would be a really interesting. One. <laughs> All right, thank you everyone for listening, and we'll check you on down the line. And don't forget to post your job for free at linkedin.com slash surf. That's linkedin.com slash surf to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply.